is all about the adventures that Danielle and I have as dance teachers and choreographers living here in New York City. We'll be sharing our experiences and all the ridiculous and hilarious truths. With that being said, let's get into today's topic. Black Lives Matter and art activism. So as uh, we say in our intro, me and Danielle are artists here in New York City. And one of the things that has swept the United States and parts of the world, depending on where you're listening from, is the uh, Black Lives Matter movement, and particularly the protest that have sprung about due to the uh, murder of uh, George Floyd. And so we are not a news source, so if you want to look up the specifics of those reasons, you are more than welcome to do so. We encourage you to. But we're not necessarily going to discuss those on our podcast because we are an arts podcast. So we're what we're going to discuss is the... Uh, sometimes well-attempted, but poorly executed mistakes of inclusion and just racial issues within the arts. Because I can tell you as an African-American man, there are many. And there are some that are not intentionally bad. Um, and then there are some that are just bad behaviors learned from the beginning that no one ever taught and corrected. Uh, so I kind of want to start with this one on representation, which is something we've talked about numerous times on the podcast before. Um, the importance of having people of color and not just, you know, in every variation and shape and form or even across gender lines in different art forms is super important uh, because we as dancers constantly know the stereotype of, you know, girls dance ballet, boys don't dance ballet. You know, like we, we're still fighting that just uh, nomenclature now. And I believe was it last year that on the news like good morning america or one of the somebody in a news situation yes it was either good morning america or good day new york i want to say it was good morning america that feels more right had said um along something along the lines if not this exactly like boys don't do or called called them a sissy boys don't do ballet and yeah it was uh there was some sort of derogatory term baby, the youngest son was taking dance classes and they said he enjoyed dance. And so they, it became this whole thing where it's like, even something as simple like that can be harmful to younger audiences. You're seeing like, oh, boys don't dance. I can't dance or I'm going to be perceived as this. And it's the same thing across racial lines for and against. You know, like, uh, I don't like the, I don't like the concept that white people can't do hip hop. That is not true. I know plenty of white people that are very, very good in hip-hop, but I think, or that hip-hop is is exclusively Black. I don't think that's the case, and I think anyone that has truly studied the art form will disagree with you. I think where that term kind of comes from is because the representation isn't fully educated. Uh, Yeah, it's it's also the reason why... um, a couple years ago when Misty Copeland was promoted to principal of ABT, there was all of this press and media surrounding it because she's the first black female principal and in ABT. And it became this big 
eye-opener to a lot of people that like, hey, wait a minute, not only is she the first principal, but even just looking at core, everyone's white. And, you know, a lot of that stems back to history. A lot of that is based on because ballet, ballet started with King Louis XIV. It started in France. It was a form of um, dance that he would do in entertainment for him. And it was for these higher up people. So a lot of it has, a lot of it stems from history, but nobody ever took a minute to break it down or be like, why is this a thing that we care about? Why does it matter? Um, I would go so far to say because, of, and with no one challenging those roots of where ballet came from, it's why and we discussed this in one of the very early episodes of the podcast. It's why a lot of, excuse me, ballet masters and artistic directors of ballet companies and dance companies across the world are all men, but yet a predominant makeup of the core is females, mm-hmm. you know? So that, that in and of itself is already, you know, a bigger issue of being like, oh, it's just kind of always been that way. No one's ever challenged it, but it's like, because no one ever has ever challenged it, you know, we didn't get our that first mean it's black principal right. until the 2020, you know, 20, yeah. you know, so it's, it's again, and I don't know, do I think it's intentional in this regard? No, I just think no one has ever questioned the history. And we've ended up in these places. And I think that is the important part that I want to call attention to. Is yeah. the no one's ever challenged it, so we've just let it slide. Or no one's ever said anything, so we've just let it slide. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I another thing that I think we have to talk on when it comes to the setup of representation is financial. Ballet is expensive. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's super, ballet in particular, dance in general can get very expensive. Mm -hmm. Ballet in particular is extremely expensive. Um, It's way more expensive to buy a good leotard and good pair of tights than it is to show up to a class in a pair of running shorts and a tank top for jazz, hip hop, tap, what have you not. It is extremely expensive to buy multiple pairs of point shoes every single year if you're a female, especially when the starting price point for point shoes is usually about 70. And depending on how much dance you take, depending on your feet, you could be going through anywhere between three to 10 pairs or upwards of 10 pairs of shoes a year. And that's that's, bare minimum, bare minimum $70 every time. And that's not including tights. Then again, tights are cheaper, but you are going through so many so quickly. Multiple colored leotards, multiple colored tights, uh, pad, like the pads inside the point shoes and all the accoutrements that come with that. Makeup, like all of that. Makeup's like- expensive. And even like as someone who went to ballet summer programs at like professional ballet companies who do, you know, uh, youth summer programs, they're really, really expensive. They're super expensive. They've always been expensive. So yes, is it geared toward the, you know, middle to upper class? I would even say upper middle to to upper class white men and women, specifically women. Yes, absolutely. Um, Does it have to be that way? No, No, it doesn't. But nobody's questioned it. Nobody's, Nobody's challenged it. Nobody's questioned it. It just is what it is, is what people would say. 
you know, and I, since we're mentioning tights, I totally thought I saw it on my phone. Sorry, listeners. But if we're <laughs> going to mention um, uh, costuming and clothing and things of that sort, we have to mention that, like, a big thing of, like, that I posted about on the PYT Instagram is, like, the the painting of, of ballet slippers. Mm-hmm. It is, that is one of those things of, like, Attempts have been made, but they're not always executed well. Um, a lot of the big, ba- bigger ballet companies don't make an attempt to find point shoes for people of color. Um, I've seen Broadway musicals that don't either. The go-to is either to put them in the same costume as fair-skinned people, because it's not always just white, but it's just fair-skinned people, mm-hmm. or they put them in the black neutral. That you know, so everyone else will be matching perfect skin tones, and then it, you know, the black person is in an all black shoe, even though their skin is a variation of brown, where it doesn't that exactly work or match. You know, it's it's one of those things of like, for the longest time, there just weren't companies. Like, let's start there. There weren't. No one thought about it, so no one made the effort. So there were no companies selling apparel that was not you know pink or lighter shades, and. Now that now there are, I know of two companies in particular that um, that sell uh, ballet material, tights, leggings, leotards, shoes for you know the the gambit of skin colors, not just black, yeah. but the gambit of skin colors. And I also know a lot of big ballet companies that don't bother; they still want their people to paint their shoes. So it's it. <laughs> I, let me give you my experience with that. It's one of those things that are like, in and of itself, it doesn't bother me, okay? It's just like the grueling is part of what you do. You put on your costume, you prep, you get ready to go. What becomes a problem is the small snarky comments of, oh, I'm slipping because there's makeup on the stage. That's that's all the black people in their shoes, the makeup coming off of those. Or getting costume notes being like, there's some white, you know, your sh- you need to repaint your shoes. They're, they're appearing white, you know, or buying a new pair of shoes and having to break in a new pair of shoes and then paint them on top of that. Like, it's all those little bitty moments that are kind of just like, I wish I, it's just something that if you're not of a darker skin color, you don't have to deal with. And it's, again, I don't want to say it's the greatest atrocity in the world. There are far greater things, but those annoying little things are deterrents. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm, the key that there are deterrents that create a barrier because you know i remember the first time i painted my shoes on my parents were like what are you doing like why do you have to do that and i'm just like it's just what you do and i they didn't say anything but i know it caught like there it definitely caused confusion into them it's like are we why can't we just find some that don't right you know and because like again i just feel like it so i saw something that like Laduca announced that issued a statement and announced that they're gonna start um, uh, making shoes in a multitude of flesh tones from the palest of the pale to the darkest of the dark. Amazing, love it. Love it. Why did it have to take this to make that happen? When, and here's the thing about it, which frustrates me particularly in the art sometimes, if it's simply about making money, I can guarantee you, if I can walk into a store and match my skin color and go pick it up the next day, I'm, I'm going gonna buy to go it. do that. Right. 
You're going to make more money. Plenty of dancers across the just New York. I won't even extend to the rest of the country slash world. There are plenty of dancers in New York that will easily go out and buy a pair if they can walk into a store and get their skin tone color, their match. There are plenty 100%. of dance studios that would order and do that. It would just eat the accessibility to it. So you're you going to make, make money off of it. More money. You will make more yes. money. So the fact that like, that we're you know, just now hearing this in 2020 from right. a reputable company. Everyone loves Laducas. We literally right. we mentioned this on the show numerous times. So Laduca being like, oh, every every shade. It's like great. Here's more. Here's more money that I was already gonna give you. Right. And like, is it a thing that I've noticed before? And I'm like, wow, that makes no sense. Yes. What? But like, the thing is, like, it's hard because sometimes, yes, the little things count. But sometimes, like. I can say, well, I don't understand why you won't just make a shoe in this color, but I don't have the money to back it. Right. And so if the company, you know, and it's still not an excuse for the company, but it's like, if people are saying this, just go do it. You have the money. Especially when you're, again, this is not a loss. You're not going to lose anything by no. making those shoes. You're not. Because no. most of you are custom anyway. Mm -hmm. So they're not, you're not just walking into a store and just picking out a pair anyway. So you're no, gonna, you have you're to, you have to like set up an appointment and get fitted for the appropriate pair. They, they give you a lifetime warranty on them. I have a pair. It's a whole thing. So there's absolutely, they will, will they will 100% make more money. So I, yeah. So, and again, we're talking about Leduca, but there are plenty of other companies where it's the exact same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, because I know in particular, like, tights are always a thing. Like, it's always that frustration where it's like, I, my girls are like, I don't want to wear pink tights. It, uh, my girls that are of color, they don't want to wear pink tights because it literally washes out their skin when you hit them with stage lights. And so they're just like, I look weird in pictures and stuff because that's not how I look, you know? And so that's why, that you know, good costuming has found other ways to, like, color balance and things like that that doesn't honestly take much work you just need a customer that has the the, the knowledge to understand that you know uh in particular uh dancier of harlem their primary color is purple and they still mm -hmm. wear the pink tights or you know are, are a lighter color tight but the purple kind of counterbalances it so you don't get the girls don't feel washed out in their looks yeah and it's yeah. actually it's a, like a beautiful shade of purple that just I like love it it's so beautiful you know and so yeah. it's it's just or even um ballet hispanico they go with like red their primary color is like red mm -hmm. and they do wear the pink tights but they help offset it by going with a more neutral white instead of pink tights so again they're just small little things like that that over time help and build a stronger you know it it helps with the feeling exclusive when it comes yes. to um Continuing on with our talk of like electives in history, we kind of talked about this before we started recording. Um, I never really thought about this until I honestly saw a post about it on Instagram that spoke about how most dance styles that are predominantly created by um, people of color are elective classes. Yeah, um, I saw the same post and there's also been like a huge article circulating about uh, particularly um, well, there's that one, and there's another big article circulating about theater majors and um, and the yes. classes that are offered then, and the way that a lot of um, 
respected, like the quote unquote best uh, theater, BFA theater programs in the country go about in their audition process. Mm -hmm. um, but it really made me think too. And it made me think about um, what my program was like. Um, and I think that, so usually most programs in the country dance wise, at least up until now, Modern is like the big thing, right? Yes. Like modern is the cornerstone of the program. We have like um, different types of modern in my school. Yeah. Like Same. We did, we did as we did as well. Modern was like the cornerstone of almost every program, and modern dance is. Um, I mean, there's no like one person who created modern dance. There's many, many contributors, but if you do your history and you do your research, they're all white. The only person who, I mean, we have some, we have Jose Lamone, who yeah. is, or I would assume does not identify as white, but if you look at a picture, looks pretty white. He, he is, he's white passing is what I would call yes, him. Yes, he's definitely white passing. He might even be, I don't know, like his actual like heritage breakdown know, nationality as well you know to my knowledge he is his, he is of hispanic origin and descent but he could also have he could be a mutt like yes. but it's 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 all white we're thinking merce cunningham martha graham um isadora duncan uh catherine uh Dun dunham dunham durham yeah catherine dunham and dunham. she too I'm almost certain that Catherine Dunham was mixed between black and white, but she was, some people debate her pioneership as, you know, her yeah. bring her influence and things like that, because Catherine Dunham in particular wanted to see black bodies and black movements on stage. So she visited, you know, visited uh, the Caribbean and parts of Africa and then brought that back on stage. And a lot of people had issues with that, but she, you know, yeah, I mean, her dance style definitely also was whitewashed a lot because people had issues with it, mm -hmm. you know? And I will say that I don't know how my program was prior to this person, but when I got to school at CU, <clears throat> one of my professors was Onye um, Azuzu. <clears throat> and I'm not sure, I'm not sure where she's, anymore to be honest I know after I graduated she also left a year or two after and went to Columbia College in Chicago to uh, I think head the department actually which was amazing but Onye was the daughter of actually a chief of a tribe in Africa and she grew up half of her life in Africa and then half of her life in the U.S. and so when she came on board she was big in like no we always have like Tony and I have talked about this so many times like you always have your like major dance block where it's like you're two hours you go to your class and usually it's modern but Onye was like we're gonna have an African section and it'll rotate in terms of level maybe one semester I'll teach it as a beginning level mm. next semester be intermediate maybe the year after I do it advanced and depending on what level you're in that's how you would get your 10 o'clock hour so it really was like, oh, if you're an intermediate dancer, you're taking West African this semester. But there was also a minimum requirement in my school of West African. Or I think it was, it was specifically West African. I think it was three semesters. 
three semesters. It was either three or four semesters of that major 10 a.m. block had to be West African. And she did a lot for the department. Like she brought in, um, I believe he still works there. His name is Niar Masoa. Um, and he came in and he would teach drumming and um, West African. She brought in, um, I can't even remember, but she would bring in many, many people. And I think she really took a stance and she's such a strong woman on like, this is our history. And a lot of dance originates from this dance form and from these movements. And we're going to teach it and we're going to force these kids to take it. And like, I'm on the reverse where I'm like, Daniel is so lucky for that because our kind of big two hour block was uh, half modern, half ballet. So you have, you would have one before the, like, depending on what level, like I think at level two was like ballet first and modern. But then if you were another level, it'd be like ballet, uh, modern, then ballet. Yeah, but like either way, the, the other class you would have to take would be jazz. And depending on, because we had such good jazz teachers, we did float between street jazz, which is hip hop, which is just another name or terminology for it, it is hip hop. And then we'd have, you know, classical jazz or, you know, or lyrical jazz, but like, because of our, just having such intelligent uh, dance teachers that were over in charge of jazz, other things were incorporated into it. Um, or just even something as simple as like learning to dance to, a recording or a song off the radio or a pop of the music, we would cover in jazz, which is something you have to do in hip hop because in my other, in ballet and modern, we were dancing to live instruments. Like ballet, we always had a pianist and modern, we always had, we always had a drummer or a pianist. Same. But like we, mm -hmm. so like, we people going through their whole training and being like, I want to be dancing music videos, have never danced to contemporary music, you know? or, you know, hottest song off the radio. That's not a thing in a lot of training programs. No, it is a lot of live music based. I'm credit for that. For like putting, their, putting that in there, you know, that if a song is really hot, we'd have a combo to it for a few weeks or we use it for something in class because we would learn those skills that would normally be taught in hip hop class. But literally with my school, granted I went to a small college, um, we, it was not standard effort was made within our jazz program, but a standard hip hop, a standard African class just wasn't, just wasn't there. And also, but to be fair, tap was also on rotation for my school, but I just know so many other programs and I've looked cause I've sent kids to schools and colleges. It's not there. There isn't an African. No, it's not. Well, and that's what I'm saying is like, I was a hundred percent like, um, a hundred percent lucky. I do, I do credit, Onye on um, really bringing that to our department and making sure it became a staple and, and its importance. Um, but then in terms of things like jazz and hip hop, until my um, senior year, was it only my senior year? Yeah, I think it was my senior year, we had Rennie Harris um, come in and uh, be like a guest professor for the year and I actually think he still teach he moved ended up moving to Colorado and works at the university full-time now um but until my senior year hip-hop jazz like those were all electives 
and which also made me upset because as someone who like jazz is my style and like I am I actually am like super interested like in the history of jazz in all of the different variants of jazz styles I'd be like great so I only get this class like once a semester like once a semester every every other semester I was like why is it why is it that we care so much about modern but we don't care about jazz and why is it like it took Rennie Harris to come in for us for the school to be like oh okay like hip-hop's a big deal and it became part of our 10 a.m block and the and the the complication and problem I have with that situation is that like there's always hip-hop hasn't gone anywhere and this is a legit dance form that people have to audition for mm -hmm. hip-hop and jazz are always out there music theater falls under the jazz category more often than not and so literally for me loving musicals it was like oh we're not like that training i had to like kind of scrounge together from places and seek outside sources outside of where my primary institution of college was to get training in that or i see it a lot of times where you get uh dancers heading out to la that don't have any actual hip-hop training or i go through here in new york city you get some that don't actually have any hip hop training, but it's like, oh, it's you have to you have to find a really good teacher at a really good program or studio or drop in center or place to train you because there you can't go. There are very few collegiate programs with hip hop, as you know. Yeah. Courses you can. And take. I, I think, I'm hopeful that maybe some things will change over the progression of the next few years with everything going on in our country and the world. I'm hopeful that programs will make a decision to move in a different direction because there is really no reason why programs don't. There's no reason why the emphasis needs to be on modern. There's really not. There's really not. Or Dance companies have been have been disbanding right and left due to financial things like most dance work is now it's on stage or on camera, right? Or teaching. And there's just there's no need it needs to be all about modern. Or the thing is, it's like, I think education-wise is about modern, but professionally speaking, most dancers have to be skilled in multiple styles. Yeah, like, yes. so I, I know plenty of my, myself, I've taught, me and Danielle have had to teach multiple different dance subjects in one semester, mm -hmm. you know, or like, or even, uh, I think to professionals, Jock, uh, Josh Peck, who won a Tony, is a ballet master, but he wanted Tony for music theater dancing. Eh, it was carousel, so you can wiggle that, you know, more ballet than not. But like, there is still like most dancers I know have to become versatile and are literally graduating out of college and having to learn a whole new style. That's how I was mm -hmm. with Africa. I never studied African until I got to New York City, and I was paired at school with a teacher that has been teaching African dance longer than I've been alive. Um, and mm -hmm. she like. I said, uh, I'm gonna stand in the back and learn. She's like, this is like a kindergarten class. I said, but I don't know these things. So I wanna learn the turn. So I'm gonna stand in the back of your class and dance. And so years of like learning as she taught, I started assisting her. And then I've been able to take over. But that was literally my friend, me going to my friend being like, hey, this is something that I want to learn and grow and understand. And she being willing to, you know, placate me as I'm asking questions on the way to and from work, you know? And like these college programs cost so much money. Still paying for mine. Same. I have student loans. The bare minimum they could do is make classes applicable to the real world. That's yes. the bare minimum. 
the yes. bare minimum. Yes. Um, and I do want to move. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Just. Yeah, I think it needs to be explicable to the world because. Oh yeah, it's kind of segueing to our kind of next thing. It was like people attempting to try to do this is where we get these weird fusion classes. Yes, I was gonna say I want to move into it because. The, this is something that I think is super important to break down. It has been. I feel like, Tony, you and I have also, like, kind of talked about this before. Like, what's appropriate, what's not. But, like, we're, we're, we're going to talk I, about it now. I typically hate it. Um, as Again, I am trained in ballet, modern, and I can break down specific moderns, and jazz. And I found training in hip-hop and African. I'm also trained in tap dance, too. And a little bit of ballroom. <laughs> So having, again, and I've been fortunate to study with people that I would call masters or on their way to being masters just because they've studied the art form long enough to challenge the norms and ask questions and to further their own studies. So when I see a fusion class or I see a fusion competition piece, I am typically cringing because I'm the first person to say, I know, I know pirouettes in hip hop. I want to stop you there for a minute because I want to talk about the word fusion to begin with. Because how yes. many times do you see a class, contemporary fusion, fusion, jazz fusion, lyrical fusion, ballet fusion? What does that mean? Ballet fusion? I have not seen that. Oh, I've, I've seen that before too. But I'm truly that. like, what? having, so like, having been in the dance industry for a long time, somebody that like has gone to college for dance, has taken classes at Steps at Broadway Dance Center, teaches it, gone on auditions. When they say fusion, I usually know what that means by now. But the thing is like, what does fusion mean? So when I see a class that says contemporary fusion, to me, I'm like, oh, it's based in contemporary, but it's basically whatever the choreography deems their own style. And they're yes. going to bring in a mix of different styles to create their own style. Fusion basically means a way of appropriating a dance style and not having to own up for it or defend it. Yep. I, That's what it means. And it's not no because it's... That. <laughs> there's just no better way to put that because like, and, and this is, I will go so far as say most hip hop classes or pieces that I've watched are not true hip hop. They're fusion at classes. All. Because at I, all. it's, the, and the reason why I have to agree so much of the appropriation, because hip hop is still a very umbrella term. Mm -hmm. Under hip hop, you have crumping, you have whacking, you have- uh, Voguing, B-boy and B-girl, breaking. Like there, there's, there's, uh, there's so, like there, it's, there's so many styles underneath that, that like it always cracks me up when they're, you know, hip hop is just kind of lumped in or they're being like, it's a jazz fusion. Jazz fusions to me means I'm probably gonna get a hip hop song mm -hmm. with modern moves. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe they're gonna shake their butt. So that's what, you know, there's gonna be a little bit, they're gonna think that's hip hop, but I'm like, that's really African undulation, but one of it. So mm -hmm. there's just that. And I, again, the-, the and Go for it. We're both stumbling over this say, kind of I was just, I know. I was just, when you said hip hop's an umbrella term, that also made me think like, right? So we've named a couple. We've named whacking, voguing, b-boy, b-girl, breaking, um, uh, what else there? Um, 
house. house. There's so there's so, oh my god yeah I trained in house. How did I forget that? But there's so many styles under the umbrella um, of hip hop. And if you actually do your research and you actually take the time to learn about them, you will learn that each style is completely different. They yeah. were codified by different people. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, the reason I know this is because, again, I was super lucky that during my senior year, we had Rennie Harris come in and he taught real hip hop. He taught house. House is his thing. He's considered one of the grandfathers of hip hop and he yes. specializes in house. And so he taught house. And not only did he teach the house movements, he taught how it started, where it started, why did it start, where it is performed. There's a really big thing with hip hop too, of the context of where that style is performed and why. He also taught a history of hip hop class where that was the moment where I learned the hip hop classes, quote unquote, I took growing up were not hip hop. It's not that anyone was trying to deceive me or do something wrong. It's they also didn't know. And that is, and that is where the, and I, I will say this to me as a person of, as a black man walking into a place like Broadway Dance Center or any or anywhere where there are multiple different dance styles and things like that. Or like, honestly, the first time I really caught it was when I went to uh, theater conferences when I was younger or dance conferences where it's like multiple workshops and things like that. And, you know, hip hop was not offered at my school because we didn't really have much a big dance program in my high school. So, of course, you would always try to take whatever whatever workshop you can on anything like that. Um, and so we would go to these workshops and I would be like, this isn't actual hip hop or this would be slightly or not completely hip hop. You, Cause like the whole thing of like, why are we doing pirouettes in hip hop was a thing that I, I see all the time where I'm like, that's your, that's not, you know? And again, I'm not saying that it's wrong or it's bad, but no, teach them correctly. So they have the information that they need. Because you, I'm not, I won't say a part of me dies whenever that happens, when I walk in and I kind of see that happening. But I immediately go, oh, this is what we're doing. This is, I have to, compart- I have to compartmentalize my yeah. annoyance in that moment to be like, oh, this is what we're getting. Okay, sure. And that's I just fine. like, you know, this, this all, um, also, yeah, let's be very clear to your point, what you said before, when we see, especially this happens so much in competitions and it drives me nuts because A, it's age not appropriate. It's not appropriate for little kids to be twerking and shaking their booties. Challenge me all you want. Why do we need that in a dance competition of five-year-olds? Not appropriate at all. But that's not hip hop and that actually doesn't stem from any traditional hip hop style. What that does stem from is undulations based in African movement, which also there is undulations based in African movement. There is a reason why those movements are done. And that is why, again, I can make this argument about hip hop, but let alone when we get hip hop fusions and not sincerity, they don't know where it comes from. There is a reason behind doing this stuff. And I, that's why I would encourage, any, any, encourage anyone that wants to understand the movement of the hips, the undulation, any of that in hip hop, take an African class first. And if you take an African class, you will understand that a lot of those moves that you think are hip hop are not rooted in hip hop. They're rooted in African dance and they've changed and they've transformed. You know, I said, because literally a lot of the, the, the first and foremost, those moves aren't done with your butt facing the audience. A lot of those undulations. And so it's, 
there's just a whole history and that gets ignored when you start mixing infusion classes. And that is where the comp that this is where that stigma of you finding that a lot of African American artists don't want white people teaching hip hop because a lot of times you're not getting to the root of it. And I'm in the space where I present me with whatever, whatever you call hip hop. And then I can completely decide, oh, you actually know what you're doing. Cause I had this conversation with Danielle. When she told me who trained her, I said, oh, no wonder you actually know these things. Because like, I know she's had the proper training so I don't have to placate her. And I don't have to suppress my own thoughts and feelings about hip hop because I know I'm dealing with someone that has, that's had proper training and understanding of that. But a lot of artists will either get angry and don't want to hear anything from anyone white talking about hip hop or African, or they just make themselves smaller. You know, they, they just choose to not challenge it because you don't, again, a lot of times these are studio owners, so they don't want to be disrespectful to their bosses that are hiring them, you know, or they don't want to be disrespectful to an artistic director that has brought them in a set of piece. Like there, there are some, there are some artistic directors that uh, when they think of hip hop or fusion classes, they only want them to shake their butts, you know, cause that's a crowd pleaser, you know, they don't want the history of hip hop. Um, you know, so those are all kind of things that like, I would say educate yourself and go a step further, you know, which is yeah. kind of brings us into our, like our uh, last topic here is that, if you want to help when it comes to the arts and things like that, inclusion and doing your own research is the place to start. Mm -hmm. Because uh, one, if you're dealing with children, they're not going to know how to feel more accommodated and more helpful to, you know, at a young age to your students of color. They're not, they may not have that understanding or knowledge. Steps you can do is something as simple as representation. When, Alvin Ailey comes through town. Instead of always getting tickets to ABT2, you know, take them to, take your entire groups. It doesn't just have to be your students of color. Take some of your kids to see Alvin Ailey. You know, take them to see, you know, whatever hip hop uh, battle that's coming through. Mm, appropriate novels vary in there. But like, expose them to dance dancers and dance styles of all kind will automatically be a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. I also think like, especially if you are sitting here and you're like, wow, I didn't know this about hip hop. I didn't know this about African. Um, I would say start with truly researching. Research the founders of hip hop. Look, look, Google mm -hmm. grandfathers of hip hop. I believe that there is like four main, I think men. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I could I be wrong. It's something like that, but um there's a mind you there's also a whole difference between east coast hip-hop and west coast hip-hop and that's a whole Ugh, thing i was gonna say that there's but like a whole it's a thing. whole it's it's and it's fascinating history to learn it is. um google that look at how how did tap start go back to the beginning it started well, I mean, I, with I was... it started with juba it started in africa it's a slave dance Yes, like literally teach your kids that. And that's always, and again, I can tell you now where you're gonna, if you're researching this, you're gonna get some frustration because you're gonna be like Irish jig, Irish dance. All of that came after yeah. people started 
by Ju Ju it started with Juba dance, and then Irish influence came mm -hmm. into. But a lot of things you will find, I will tell you now if you recent, you will find contradictory information where some people will go, it started with the Irish, but there was no sound when the Irish no. were Because it was all about I, communication. It's a communication. And I was going to say that I actually do a really big unit every year where we talk about TAP and the history of TAP and how it started. It's one of my favorite things to do. And I always tell my bosses before I'm about to do it, if it's a, if it's a new boss, the first time I'm about to do it, I'm going to, I go, listen. Here's my PowerPoint presentation I'm about to show the kids. We're going to talk about Juba. We're going to talk about how when people, when slaves were brought over to America, all of their music was taken away from them. So this was created as a form of communication. I'm going to teach them that. And I'm going to talk about it. And then, then I'm going to go a step further and I'm going to also show them the scene in the staircase tap dance with uh, Bill Robinson and um, Shirley Temple, and I'm going to talk about their dynamic there. So good. And uh, we're going to talk about it. And I need, I need y'all to not, I need to not get written up for it. I need to not be fired for it. I just reality. That, you know, I would hope that no, especially with the 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 community of children I serve, I would I would assume and hope that there's no backlash from parents. I mean, I've had. It I from mean, all people kinds. get people get crazy. But I think like, if I'm, my biggest thing is like, if I'm gonna teach dance, I'm gonna teach dance correctly. Yes. I'm gonna teach the history correctly. I'm gonna teach Absolutely. the steps correctly. I'm gonna teach the music correctly to the best way I know have, and I'm gonna continue to Google and find things. And when I don't feel comfortable, I had this big conversation actually this week with my boss, how I, we were talking about next year for school. And I said, I really wanna, um, have friends come in and teach more workshops. I want to look at our community and find people from the community to come in because I also don't think it's okay for me to appropriate dance forms that I have not had training in from someone it's true. who has worked in that industry. And so I'm going to bring people in. And that is something that like, again, these are all just ways to help, you know, that like, yeah. cause again, I, it's so different when you have someone that's just immersed in that world. Like anytime I, I, they ask me to do yoga and meditation, I go, oh, I'm not that person. I can't mm -hmm. tell you the, I don't have the knowledge to, to teach you anything about that. So why would I teach it? You know, that's always my big thing. And I, and I again, I encourage this to studio owners that actually want their children to succeed, to dance programs that want their kids to succeed. You got to bring in the people that have the knowledge and understanding of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And it's not always going to be easy. It's not always going to be cheap. But before you spend, a, you know, several hundred dollars or several thousand dollars to bring in the next big guy, from the roll. Guy girl from LA that was on reality television, as I do, and I roll. <laughs> right. Google and research who's in your own state that can teach African, that can teach modern dance, but under the Ailey style, which is just Horton. Mm -hmm. But there are some variations with that. But or there, you can start there with how you can start with Alvin Ailey or Catherine Dunham, and how both of them are doing are doing dance styles that are traditionally created by white people. But because they themselves are not well, Dunham not all white. I want to look that up. She might be all black. I might be misracing her. But I'm, uh, I'll try to Google it as you continue uh, to talk. But I know with Alvin Ailey, a lot of people will go, "Oh, you do Ailey style of dance." I was like, "It's just Horton." 
Like I learned Horton first, and then I took class with you know done classes with the Alabama dance group where I was like, they're just dancing Horton, but you get some people that be like, oh, they're totally different. I'm like, but it's it's, it's still Horton technique. You know, and Catherine Dunham, especially for those that are more on the ballet side of things, I would definitely say, pull up a biography of Catherine Dunham. You know, so I'm uh, sorry, I'm you know. Googling now. Okay, yes. So she identifies as, um, or identified, she has since passed away, as African American. Okay. Um, but I think she was. I, uh, please write in, correct me if I'm wrong. What I'm getting is, I think she, um, so her father was a descendant of slaves from West Africa and Madagascar. Her mother was a French Canadian heritage. So I think she, she is mixed, but identifies as African American. Okay. I was like, there's no, cause she's a, she's a, yeah, that's what I thought. Person. I was like, I was like, I, like, I picture of her with, you know, where she's doing an arabesque with mm -hmm. the flower. I know that exact picture on my head, but I was like, she was fair skinned, so I don't know. But her story alone of being a mixed race dancer and the style she, you know, was being pushed into. You can yeah. even, I would say, go further back, but if you want to just start with something more contemporary, look at Misty Copeland's story and her struggle of paying for ballet and to get to the level that she's at. There are, there are numerous situations Even like, like even Debbie Allen has yes. a beautiful story. Yes. And these are like Misty Copeland, Debbie Allen, like these are all people dancing and working and functioning now, mm -hmm. you know? And so I, if you're just looking for a stepping stone, read them. There, I know Misty Copeland has a book. Debbie Allen, I think I have one or two books. Catherine Dunham, their whole library is full. Do, doing these small steps of research and just understanding it, or there's several documentaries on the history of hip hop. Um, mm -hmm. Because I... I literally, I taught a hip hop section. Now I think I did, I had to do a whole semester at a school I was brought in to do. And like, I learned the places that I was talking about because hip hop originated in the Bronx. I lived several blocks from where a lot of this had place. And I was like, oh wait, things I'm talking about in my lesson plan, I walk past every day. That's kind of cool. You know, so dive into that, research those things because they go, they go a long way. Like I said, I go a very way into educating your dancers and giving them longer careers. I was also going to say, too, if you are a dance teacher or a studio owner, another great thing you can do for your kids um, of any of any race, of any oh, color, absolutely. because let me be as a white woman, white kids need to hear this. They need to know where these dance styles have originated from, who originated them, the history behind them. They also need to know. It is not just for our colored kids to learn about. Everyone oh. needs to know this. Everyone. But there's some really great books for kids. There's a couple of, there's a bunch of books about Misty Copeland, about her life that are great for kids. Um, Debbie Allen has written and co-written a bunch of children's book about dance. Yes. Yes, um, dance yes. in the dancing wings, dance, dance in the. I have all these books are in my classroom, which I have to go get. Dancing in the wings or something like that is a beautiful book. A lot of kids love by Debbie Allen. Mm -hmm. Um, there's even a really great um, children's style book about um, Alvin Ailey when he was young and how he got into dance. And that one just came out not too long ago because I remember. Yeah, I have. I need to go get all these these books. I remember them uh, posting about that one and Alvin and, and Alvin, a book about boys dancing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. There's a lot of really great children's books that you can um, just present to your kids. If you're a dance teacher in a school setting, um, something I do is I always get books every year and I create a little library and I have little uh, book displays. So the covers are always displayed. And those are great when kids come in. When Sometimes when kids need a break, they'll send them to me during the day. They can read a book. Um, if a kid's having a hard day in class or they're really tired, I'll say, do you want to go get a book and sit and sit in the take a break chair and read instead? They're still learning about dance then. Well, um, that's I, what I do. Cause a lot of times I get, cause I, again, me and Danielle are in the same shoes as a lot of you guys where I have a lot to cover in class. I don't have time to teach a full history lesson on every single thing we do. History and stretch is what I love to do because you're still going to give five mm -hmm. out of your class to history and stretch. So usually when I start a unit, I make sure there's time to share that information. But just so we don't forget it, I like I love doing being like choreographer of the week or choreographer of the month. And so whenever we start class, it's like, cool, this week is Jose Limon. Who's got an interesting fact about Jose Limon? If you, you know, if you have the best fact or, you know, if you have a fact, you get to skip this across the floor today. You know, like, nice. or like you get to lead tomorrow's warm up or you get to pick the end of class cool down. Yeah, you, you incentivize the kids. There's like two second conversations where it's like, it literally be like, what did we do? It, one time it was like, where was Debbie Allen born? Or like, what year was she born or something? And they were like, she was born in this, and they were debating it. And so like, I was like, y'all, I love that y'all are debating this. We're like, we need to get to across the floor. So like, one of you and is like, I'm gonna Google it, you know? They will, like, they will remember and they'll start to have conversations about it. And that's honestly like mm -hmm. my favorite part about teaching dance is when my kids can start to articulate about dance and yes. have conversations about it, but they need to be taught to be able to do that. And in and a so professional real world, like professional it really does. deal with that stuff because you'll go see a piece and it'll be like, oh, it's, in, it's, in, it's within that style or you're recreating someone's work. I've run into that a couple times with young choreographers. I was like, you can't use that. That's a complete recreation. What? I was like, is, have you never seen this? This is a complete recreation of this work. Oh, I didn't even think about that. Or they'll be like, I never studied them. Or it's like, oh yeah, I didn't think anybody know. Nope. There's playing dance stories. Okay. We all know. And it's just like, you know, so Tony and I, at the beginning of quarantine, we did an episode, we talked about, there can be some amazing things that come out of quarantine, the amount of art that's going to come out of having to be inside and think differently and learn think differently is going to be amazing. Well, guess what? There's another huge movement to really teach dance appropriately and factually yes. and change the course of theater and movies and music and dance and that opportunity is now yes don't don't go back in the fall if you're or i know that there are some states that are back in the studios already yeah don't mm -hmm. go back in the fall to your school or your studio especially in person and continue to they say they say we don't want to go back to normal right after after this pandemic there is no normal normal wasn't good we need to do better so let's do better Absolutely. Well, that's it for us. The curtain has closed on this episode, and we hope that you will join us next week. And every week after that. Episodes come out every Thursday. You can find us on your favorite podcast apps. Don't forget to like, comment, and subscribe. We are Point PYT on all platforms. I'm your co-host, Tony Williams II. And I'm your co-host, Danielle Colangelo. See you next week on Print Your Toes, the adventures of an NYC dance leader.